Today we're going to dive into Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. I'll give you a second to look that up, but we'll pull it up on the screen here in just a second. What I want to talk about is, um, is timely. It has to do with things going on in our country, things going on in our history, things going on in our lives that we as Christians must face each and every day. Um, some of you know it's, it's tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, and we, we remember the civil rights movement and much of what has happened in our country. And we also are coming on the heels of a political campaign that has divided many. And also, we have an inauguration coming up that's, I'm sure, going to divide many more. So we want to be in prayer, and we want to be the hand of God and the feet of God and the voice of God the compassion of God in a world that's kind of going against each other. So as we go to Scripture, let's remember we're one in Christ. You want to read with me? So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. We come to Scripture seeking answers when the world around us gets a little hairy and a little bit crazy. And that is one of the places that I go to. All I have to do is take a look around me or turn on my television, read the newspaper, they still make those. Online news, you can't miss the fact that there is division, not only in our country, but in our world. And it's affecting every part of the globe. We're no strangers to inequality. We're no strangers to historically and in the present day as well, inequality based on race or religion, on socioeconomic status, on political preferences, and the consequences throughout the world have often proved deadly, devastating. In biblical times, it was no different. We have to take a look and see what it is that Jesus did in the face of such difference. It's hard to be one when you're divided. C.S. Lewis said that if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who think most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. We've talked um, the last couple of weeks on the first about how Christ makes all things new and how then later last week we keep our minds on things above. In a world where we cling to that which is familiar, we, we know what we know and what we know we like to hold on to. We don't like to go into uncharted territory. I don't know if y'all remember, I talked a little while back about Mary and the, the, the maps and, and how when the borders of the map were unclear, they called that dragon territory. That's, we don't like dragon territory. 
in relationships or otherwise. There are these similar obstacles that we're presented with throughout Scripture, but especially in the New Testament, as we encounter prejudice against Samaritans, the Canaanites, Phoenicians, Greeks, and the Romans. And yet Jesus extended compassion and grace to each and every one of these persons, to each person he met. There was the Samaritan woman at the, at the well who was given the water of life, that she would know what it means to truly be loved, to not be alone. There's the thankful leper who, among the ten who were healed, he was the only one to come back, and he was a Samaritan to come back and express his gratitude. We know the story of the Good Samaritan. We know the story of the Canaanite Phoenician woman who begged for anything in the way of sustenance from Christ because she knew he had that bread of life that was the bread of life that would fill your soul. And when he said, but I, I come only for, the, for those who are chosen. And she said, ah, but even the dogs eat from the crumbs of the table. In her humility and her faithfulness, she put herself before him, and he said, you're right. You and your faith will be rewarded. One of the stories that really stands out to me is one I want to dive a little deeper into, and that's the story of the Roman centurion. In the, in the Gospel of Luke, we are told of the Roman centurion who comes to some of the disciples, comes to some of the, some of the Jews, and asks them to go to Christ, that his son, some translations call it a, a child, or interpret it as a child who would be in his house as a servant, but who would be like a son to him. His son was ill. His son had a disease. Now, the only thing more despised than a Gentile was a Roman, and the only thing more despised than a Roman was a Roman soldier. This would be like having someone who's on the terrorist list, now I'm making a, a, an example of the hatred against them, not necessarily their actions, but the, the hatred against the terrorists, it'd be like having one of them come in and say, I need healing, but I can't go in. Can you, can you have somebody pray for me that I might be healed? This centurion knew that he was hated by the Jews, that there was prejudice, that there was racism, that, and he was trying to seek the one who he knew had command of a disease, who could speak the word and it would be gone. He was trying to seek the very one who was the Son of God, the one who could do all things and make all things new. And yet in the process, he was also trying to protect Christ. He didn't want him to come to his house because he knew the cultural laws and everything forbid that. And Christ, in the face of this plea for wholeness and health in this child, grants healing 
from right there where he is. He doesn't have to be in the presence of this child. He doesn't have to touch him. All he has to do is speak it, and it happens. And then Christ turns to the Jews who are present. And he looks at this Roman centurion, and essentially he tells them, he just outfaithed you. You know me. You know who I am. You know what I can do. And yet, you stand here and don't have the kind of belief that this person whom you hate with tremendous and deep disregard has seen the grace of God standing in front of him. So much so that he's willing to put himself in a socially awkward position, a position that he might have been afraid to be in. See, the Jews wanted a conqueror for a Messiah. They wanted them to come in and to destroy the Roman Empire. They wanted them to come in, him to come in and wipe out all those oppressors. But Christ wasn't there to do that. Christ was there to bring peace and harmony. There's a Jewish word called shalom, and it means a wholeness. Of healing. When someone wishes you shalom, it's not that just that they're wishing you well, it's that they're wishing you the very best of everything in your mind, in your body, in your soul, in your spirit, in your relationships, in your household, in your business, everything. On the heels of this story, Christ reminds them of what is needed that we might be in heaven. He reminds them of the kind of heart we are to have, and this takes us to the heart of persons who, are, who come to Christ to seek all things new, to, to, to be made new, to come and to keep their mind on things above. And in a world where prejudice and discrimination and judgmental tones come into play, we need the kind of love that Christ has for each other, for our neighbor, for our community, for our world. As I was writing this, I had a little self-conviction. <laughs> the Spirit will do that sometimes, <laughs> lots of times. We can often go through the world and you can, you know, we can be walking along and we can just say, I don't know what it is, but I just don't like that person. We may, we may have somebody that, that for whatever reason, we have a grudge against. And we just have decided we just don't care for them, and so we're just going to avoid them altogether. We're just going to ignore them. We're going to turn them over to God and say, okay, God, you take this person. And we forget that our heart is part of the issue. Some of us have things that haunt us from our past. We may not feel worthy. We may feel like... We simply can't compete, and so we distance ourselves. If you look at our statistics in our country of incarceration and who's incarcerated, of, if you look at education levels and you compare it among ethnicities and religions and you compare poverty rates, there's a disparity. And it should disturb us because this is not God's kingdom. But God's kingdom is coming. 
It's coming, and when it fully arrives, inequality will be no more. Jesus invited every single one of us, every single person, to become his disciple, especially the person on the margins, especially the disenfranchised. And rather than compare and look at ourselves, and, and I'm not condemning any, anybody, I think we've, we do a great job of reaching out and, and opening our arms. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people in this church come to me and say, I see a problem in the community and I want to do something about it. And I can't tell you how good that makes me feel to be a pastor serving this church. But the world overall needs to quit comparing ourselves to one another, to seek the best for one another. Through Christ-like hearts and living, we can do that. But we must be like that centurion who, in his words, when Christ said, I'll come to your house, he said, oh, no, Lord, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve for you to come to my house. We need to come knowing that we stand in need of a Savior and that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We need to, instead of shying away that, from that which isn't familiar, dive in. Break a barrier. Find out about that person who is next to you who thinks differently than you. I'm sure you've all had an opportunity to do that in the last year with the presidential campaign. You've had a conversation with somebody who didn't quite agree with you. Amen? I know I have. That iron sharpens iron, and we begin to see things that we might not see because we're stuck in our opinion. We're stuck in our mindset, and we begin to see that, you know, there, there may be a need somewhere that we haven't opened our eyes to or our hearts to. God's kingdom is going to be so utterly amazing. Disease won't stand a chance. Prejudice won't stand a chance. And it's this that we pray for when we pray on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying that God's kingdom would be empowered and enabled in a way here on earth as it is in heaven, so much so that we're going to be on our knees and we're going to open our hearts and our lives to be people who proclaim to every single person we meet that we are all God's children. I've loved, loved, loved reading the stories from the Kenya team this week, from Brooke and from... Um, Joanne and, and just seeing how these young persons who are in the Zoe program have come to change their lives. And it's because somebody stepped up and said, I believe in you. And Jesus Christ loved you so much that he died for you because he wanted you to have an abundant life. We're going to help you have the skills to be able to do that because he loves us and we love you. It's an opportunity that each and every one of us have to be born into God's family regardless of any factor. 
We are part of his creation, and he wants to redeem us. And his Holy Spirit comes in, and it works, and it does amazing things, and he does remind us of things that we need where we feel like there is some big gaping hole in our life. He can cross that cavern. It's an opportunity for all. John three sixteen. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When we fall at the foot of the cross, the Spirit of God has been moving in us, and we can't wait to get anywhere but to Christ. When we stand there, when we're born into Christ's family, when we are born into the body of Christ, when we are born into this faith family, and we are baptized by the Holy Spirit, it is a powerful and mighty thing. We get a Heavenly Father, Abba. In the South, we, we would say Daddy. We get a Daddy who will never change, who will never lie to us, never leave us. We get a whole slew of siblings. Do you know we're all brothers and sisters? We get a family that reminds us that together we are one in Christ. Together we are part of him who comes that needs would be met, that lives would be made whole, that redemption would come, and we get to be a part of ushering in the kingdom of God. So what about us? Do we pray for God's kingdom to come? Do we stand by when we should raise our voice? Do we fall at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I know I'm not worthy, and I haven't done anything to deserve your love, but I have a desire to know you, and I want you in my life, and I want you in my heart, and I want you to not just come into my heart, but I want you to change me. I want you to give me love for that person that... Maybe I just don't care for. I want you to give me love for that person that believes so different from me politically that I can't stand the very sight of them. I have those people in my life, and I'm going to start praying that. I promise. I'm going to make that covenant with y'all and God right now. And that's, that can be a hard thing. That can be a real hard thing. We need to be in prayer that the Holy Spirit will deposit himself in our lives in such a way that the dividends will be seen far and wide. I've seen what happens when one kind act makes a ripple effect that reaches around the globe. When I went to the Philippines, we encountered children who were hungry, and, and we dealt with um, feeding programs and nutrition training programs through the nursing school there in Manila at, at the Methodist hospital that was founded by a Methodist woman who simply saw a need for a hospital, and so she put the hospital there, started with the nursing school, built into the hospital. It's one of the prime places to go. And these nurses go into the, these communities that are cinder block communities, 
10 by 10 rooms with no power, two buckets of water, one that's clean and one that's not, and they have 20 people living in there. And they go in and they begin to teach them about hygiene. And they go in and they begin to teach them about nutritional values. And they begin to go in and say, and, and do um, some work with their children and their families. And they find where their diets are insufficient. And they come in and they take a barrier between economic classes and they remove it. And these families begin to find themselves healthier. So their work is more productive. So their wage is more productive, and it begins to affect one generation after another. We met a young man who was director of the, the children's ministry with Capitier and Capuan Ministries, and he was a child who was born to a fisherman, and they lived in a very tiny shack. And he, little by little, as this program ministered to him, got to the point to where he excelled in school to the point that his teachers, who rarely reach out with scholarships to the poverty-stricken kids, said, you know what, you need to go to college. And he did. And he got his grandparents into a home, he got his parents into a home, he got his siblings into a home, and he's putting his siblings through college. Because somebody took the time to break a barrier. The best is yet to come. We are privileged to take part in being able to do that. It was exciting this week to stand and hear about the Housing and Homeless Council grants that the conference will be um, reviewing the applications for and granting funds so that churches can step out and do even greater things, like a freezer, right, Allison? We worked on that last year and got that barrier knocked down. We may underestimate what we do, but it can be powerful and it can be mighty. I mentioned to you earlier that tomorrow we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, his, his efforts in the civil rights movement. And he had a dream of an equality that can only come with the kingdom of God. If you have not heard any of his speeches, you need, to, you need to sit and you need to listen. There's a greater message in there than just division over skin color. He's pleading for people to love each other and to see each other the way God sees us. Because we're brothers and sisters. And, and, you know, I have two brothers and a sister, and we fought like crazy growing up but we loved each other like crazy too. I wouldn't take anything for him, even my oldest brother. I'm teasing. If he watches this, I don't mean that. But we're family. We're one because of Christ, and we're one in Christ. One is usually a lone number, but that one in Christ, you're not alone. I want to use some of 
Martin Luther King Jr.'s words from a speech that many of you will know that he delivered in August of 63 called I Have a Dream. And he's talking about what will happen when the kingdom of God comes. When this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Who do we thank? We thank God Almighty for freedom. Martin Luther King is now residing in that kingdom that has no barriers. He's not seeing by sight or I'm sorry, he's no longer living by faith, he's, he's living by sight now. He's getting to see that which he fought for, that God had already prepared the way for. It's, it's going to be a tenuous week, especially in the political arena. And I have seen the words go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to the point that I don't want to turn on the television and I don't want to turn on a news radio station and I don't want to hear anything about it. Because I don't think I can take hearing people cut each other down more and more and more. I have a good friend who is a um, pastor up in Villarica and on his, his Facebook page, he said, you know, if if the people who have rejoiced over the last eight years would look and appreciate the rejoicing of, of this next term. And if the people who have mourned over the last eight years who are now rejoicing would remember the mourning and we might remember the compassion that it takes to see one another as a brother and a sister and to understand that, yes, we have different opinions and we have different ways of going about doing things, but that we can still be brothers and sisters and we can still love each other. That would be amazing. I see it in conversations about care for parents. When one sibling wants to take one approach and another another approach and any number of ways that we are divided in our opinions and our beliefs and our prejudices and our way in the ways we approach one another but when we come and we stand before God we're standing equal to that person who is right next to us also standing there before God and we all stand in need of a grace that only he can give and in need of a grace that only he can provide, one that makes us one in Christ and makes us the body of Christ. So my challenge is when you meet somebody who's either maybe a little bit unlovable, does everybody know somebody who's a little bit unlovable? Find that person. <laughs> Love them. Nick, is she picking on you? I'm sorry. Nick really, Nick's a good guy, I promise. 
We joke. Um, but find that person. Be their cheerleader. It might make all the difference in the world. The child that you mentor through big brothers and big sisters might be president in 30 years because of the fact that they had somebody cheering them on. It makes a huge difference. In the kingdom of God, we are neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. We come and we stand before him as a sinner in need of grace. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you this day knowing that we don't stand alone. We stand in a family of faith that is created by you, by your Son, by your grace, by the uniting of the Holy Spirit, by the transformation that takes place in each of our lives. And sometimes you ask us to step outside our comfort zone and do things like go to Kenya or the Philippines. Or sometimes you ask us to step out in faith and just go down the street and talk to the person who's maybe looked a little bit down every single day that you've run into them. Each of us has our own little world, Lord, and let those worlds collide in a way that will bring change, that will remind us that we are one in you. God, we thank you for your son, for the ways in which he makes all things new, for the ways in which he teaches us how to think, how to live, how to act, how to speak, and most importantly, how to love. Let those lessons sink in and deposit themselves in our heart in a powerful and mighty way. We can't wait for your kingdom to come, Lord. Amen.